On the whole, the idea of a kid in a bedroom is not a case of piracy. It is a major, major crime. Arrested, the head of a multi-million pound gang, importing not drugs, but something almost as valuable, football. I'm Matt Cutler, and you're listening to The Pirates vs The Premier League, a journey inside the world of illegal sports broadcasting. Cyber experts have told us that sophisticated criminal networks are building large businesses around the growing demand for cheap and comprehensive sports coverage. And a teenager in the Balkans is making around $15,000 a month selling access to illegal streams that he gets through, and I quote, some powerful people. But who are these powerful people? And what's being done to stop them? This is understood to be the world's largest ever prosecution of an illegal streaming network. The illegal streaming business has involved more than 50,000 customers and resellers and 30 employees, one of which was positioned undercover at a specialist anti-piracy company. The fraudulent operations generated in excess of £7 million in just five years. Hey, Rich. Hey, mate, how are you? Yeah, doing all right, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. I've just been looking at that link you sent me, the flawless case. Yeah. And I think it's worth just pursuing a bit because I, I was struck by these two things at once. One is that this is the biggest conviction we've seen. And then you've also got, it says, the operation described as the biggest so far received more than £7 million from 50,000 subscribers. It, it doesn't feel very big to me. Yeah, that's interesting because Simon from Sony Media sent across analysis that they had. The figure they had is that if they addressed sports piracy globally, the industry could get an extra $28 billion in annual revenue. So it's either millions of people in the supply chain or the number's small and these people are just the ones that they could get hold of and there is a much bigger, much more organised centre to this yeah, I've got some, I've got some uh, interviews lined up with some people from the tech world who are out there tackling this, so I'll ask them that question. I've also managed to um, get someone who was in that flawless investigation, so I'll, I'll ask him that same question as well to so see, see what he says about that. Pascal Metral, I'm a vice president of legal affairs for Nagra. We are investigating pirates, gathering intelligence on piracy, and down the road also uh, supporting our customers litigate against, against pirates. We've heard from a reseller making about $15,000 a month just by selling access to pirated streams. Do you have any gauge on how much money is being made from content piracy and I guess live sport in particular? You know, pirates always have been chasing sports content, but the, the piracy techniques have evolved over time. So that makes things much easier for pirates to, to set up. And as a result, it's much cheaper for mafias and for organized crime, true organized crime organization, to deal with content thefts and to deal with copyright infringements because they will make a lot of revenue and the risks are so little. And usually, uh, you know, copyright infringements, content piracy goes together with money laundering, you know, with tax evasion. Uh, and this, this type of things. I, I dealt with piracy cases uh, in Sicily, in Naples region. I mean, there's no doubt people sitting on the bench were uh, you know, affiliated to organized crime. Uh, I, I dealt with piracy in the three fronteras, uh, 
region in Paraguay, there's no doubt that those people there were associated with lots of different smuggling and type of activities, including drugs. Content piracy was one of their verticals, right? <laughs> and you mentioned two countries there, but are, are there any trends that you've seen in terms of where these criminals, these organized criminals who are pirating sport come from? You have different uh, business models for, for pirates. Uh, you have still those models that are based on hardware sales. Those will be driven by manufacturers. And manufacturers of such devices are very well identified from the industry, but they just happen to be sitting in a safe harbor, which is called China, and they operate uh, as, as, as if their activity was fully legal. Then you have software-based piracy, a Kodi add-on or an app that can be uh, downloaded in any Android device. So for this one, uh, I'd say there's no one specific profile. We come across lots of different people from lots of different countries and continents. But then you still have a very organized economy uh, consisting of designing those wide-level apps and providing the streams, etc. It's very, very international and very geographically dispersed. That's the voice of Cameron Andrews, head of anti-piracy at BN Media Group, the Qatari-based broadcaster currently investing $15 billion into sport through media rights. You've got some key individuals who are very technically capable located in different places around the world. So we have some in the Middle East, we have some in Russia. There are some significant Chinese companies involved in it as well. There are some sophisticated operators in South America and people are in touch with each other and they're well aware of what they've created and they make vast amounts of money from it. And there are very, I think, quite conservative estimates internally saying, saying showing that you know we are losing over a billion dollars a year in potential revenue. It is an existential issue for the company. There's no doubt about that, particularly in the Middle East and North Africa. BN has been at the heart of one of the biggest sports piracy cases in history. BLQ, a service the World Trade Organization ruled was promoted and supported by the Saudi government. It's been described as the biggest and most outrageous piracy operation in history, which has been allowed to continue for the past three years. In 2017, shortly after the kingdom and three of its allies imposed a land, air and sea blockade on Qatar, a new television network was unveiled named Be Out Q. The new channel was nothing more than a piracy operation that stole the signal and output from BN Sports and rebroadcast it around the world in a flagrant breach of intellectual property rights and several other international treaties. Following diplomatic talks, BLQ was taken offline and a four and a half year ban on BN Sport being broadcast in Saudi Arabia was lifted. Hey Rich, uh, I've spoken to a few more piracy experts um, who are all saying about the link between serious organized crime, even state-sponsored in some instances. So, you know, this is really, it's real sophisticated criminality. Something isn't quite right in relation to that flawless case that, that you uh, phoned me about. It, it doesn't really feel like it's the same thing that we're, that we're talking about. I think I need to go further into that, and I've managed to organise a chat with someone who works on the uh, on the case, on the investigation, and I'm uh, going to ask him that exact question. I'm Doug Love. I'm a trading standards officer for Hammersmith and Fulham Council. 
and as a trading standards officer, I enforce consumer protection laws with the aim, I guess, uh, of ensuring that consumers are safe and treated fairly, but also that law-abiding businesses don't suffer from unfair competition. In Flawless's case, we didn't know about it until our partners in the case, the Federation Against Copyright Theft and the Premier League approached our team and they'd identified a principal suspect, Mark Gould, and they came to us because the company he was uh, using was registered at his parents' address, which was in North Kensington. And we used powers to apply for entry warrants, uh, to seize computer and telephone equipment. We also had an accredited financial investigation to look into the finances and income of the companies and individuals involved. And to be honest, if they've been a little bit more sophisticated in terms of hiding their identities and the assets they've got, we wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have been such a good case and we wouldn't have had such a good outcome. Gould actually went on to commit offending in a different way after the first warrant that he was first invested. And he was a bit more careful that time, but still we managed to identify it. One thing we've been told time and time again is that sports piracy is a network and ultimately at the top it's run by serious and sophisticated organised crime. I wonder whether you got any sense that in the Floros operation there was almost some kind of higher power that may have been pulling some of the strings. The, the individuals who we prosecuted for Floros, they maybe wouldn't be seen as your average organised criminals. I suspect the defendants in Floros probably thought, we'll do this, we know it's illegal, but we'll just earn a little bit of money, stay under the radar, and it will all be okay, we'll stop soon. The fact that Mark Gould in particular is a very talented, I think, organiser, meant that they grew exponentially. And I suspect that they sort of got caught up in it, didn't realise it was going to grow that quickly, and therefore didn't give enough attention to how they personally could avoid detection. And to the extent that we've even got uh, some chat from the second lot of computers seized from Mark Gould, where he said to one of his colleagues, yeah, we'll carry on, but I can only do it through resellers because if I'm caught, it means more years inside for me, uh, which he was absolutely correct about. But some of the people who, for instance, supplied streams to them, some of the rather shady businesses, not UK-based, who sell them streams, who they buy from, I don't know who that is, I suspect they are much more sophisticated and more consistent with people's general view of organised crime. I'll leave you to do your own research on the ins and outs of the case, but suffice to say that the ringleader of the so-called gang, as the media have colourfully, so colourfully put it, was a great fellow and a friend of mine called Mark Gould. I managed to chat to a few people who know Mark Gould, and in the process was sent an episode of the Pitch Talk podcast, presented by Liam Angel, also known as Straight Shooting LJA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Pitch Talk. Liam is Mark Gould's best friend, and therefore the perfect person to speak to to understand whether the man sentenced to 11 years in prison was one of these so-called serious organised criminals. Though I contacted Liam several times, I got no response. It might be because on his podcast he refers to the media consistently as parasitic. But fortunately on his June 12th podcast, 
which is dedicated to the flawless case. He gave a bit of an insight into the question I was looking to put to him. I'm trying my hardest not to kind of take it personally because obviously he's a friend of mine um, and a very good friend at that. And this whole situation is just one of them ones where I said, it's nothing but the Premier League trying to make an example of someone. And it's one of them was there like trying to portray him as some millionaire playboy and all that. And it's like, well, no. A criminal mastermind would have offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands and all it and all of this and have influence with politicians and all that. Mark ain't got none of that. So I said, to me, this screams of the Premier League wanted to make an example out of someone, which actually does nothing, as I've said before on the straight shooting view, to sort out the root causes of why people get involved in this activity in the first place. Because remember, the Premier League might have taken down Flawless and put those guys behind bars, but there were plenty of other services doing similar and plenty that will keep popping up because fans want to watch the Premier League, but some can't afford it. Which highlights something we've been very aware of since starting this investigation. We haven't heard from arguably the most important organisation when it comes to sports piracy in the UK, the Premier League, about how we've got to this situation and what the fix is. They don't really want to talk about piracy because that's something that's going to erode the value. When you're doing the deal, you know, this is not what you want to have at the forefront of the discussions. Piracy is rampant. You've not been able to control it. Reduce your prices. And that's the one thing that the, the rights holders don't want to hear. The Pirates versus the Premier League was brought to you by Unofficial Partner Productions. Written and produced by me, Matt Cutler, and edited by Richard Gillis. If you have a tip related to sports piracy, email me via matt at unofficialpartner.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you. Sports Social Podcast Network.